What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. We are sitting here in the shadows, the aftermath of Halloween. I am Barton Simmons. He is Bud Elliott. If you thought Halloween was over on October 31st, you have got another thing coming because here we are on November 11th as we record this. And Bud, players, teams are getting COVID by the by the bushel and the theory has been reported it's actually been reported in at least one spot at lsu and i would say it's not unlikely that it is uh the 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 reason for the outbreaks in a few other spaces but uh halloween parties maybe to blame you know barton uh if these guys had gone with just scarier costumes they would have probably worn a mask man but uh, right you know (laughs) i know we just talked about this on, on Sunday, you know, like this is something that's going to be very hard. We know that coaches are are trying to get these guys to stay in protocol, but it's just hard, especially if some of these teams seasons slip away to, to have these guys stay in protocol and like stay. I, the term lockdown is a little aggressive, but you're not supposed to go out to parties. You're not supposed to be going out to bars. You're supposed to be hanging around people who, you know, are compliant. And it's just hard to do for a long period of time. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's, especially if you're, if you're that age, college age kids are not always the best at judging risk. You know, it, it's just one of those things. Listen, I am, I, I am long removed from college. I'm a father of three. I've been locked down as have these college kids for the most part, relative to what they're used to for almost a I mean, we're, we're approaching a year. I mean, it's been like eight months or something, and I'm not doing anything. And I've, I've got I, – I, I wouldn't say I have FOMO because there's really nothing else I'm missing, but I'm getting restless. I'm getting <laughs> – it's not fun. I don't really enjoy it anymore. I'm ready to kind of, you know, spread my wings a little bit uh, to, to be a I, – I, I don't – like, I am not going to um, – sort of shame any of these college guys that that let it slide and went to a party or that are uh you know I, I mean I I would like if I'm if I'm a coach I want more out of them you know what I know it's hard but we got to do it I'm not excusing it but dude this is hard and and especially when all your especially when your season's going downhill when all your buddies are are, are out and when you're probably not even playing like it's not this just because the a team has caught COVID, or just because a specific player has caught COVID, that doesn't necessarily mean that like it's the starters that are out there, you know, breaking protocol. It's probably the guys that aren't getting any burn on Saturdays. And what are they like? Why do they care? So I get it. There's a human element to this. Uh, I'm empathetic to it, um, but. Uh, that you know the reality is hidden and i think just like the cases are spiking nationally right now right it's not just everything we're learning like there there are a lot of people out there who are are not remaining vigilant and uh you know to be honest here in in this age range based on what we know right now it's not particularly dangerous to you so there's there's not a whole lot of downside like legitimate health risk downside based on what we know right now to guys of this age. So they don't see it as, as a major negative to go out, especially if they're not playing anyway. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm picturing, picturing Barton here. He's like, 
all right, I get to go to the bank or the post office. Like this is like, like, don't you get kind of more excited now to leave your house? Just, just to, like you mask up and you're like, all right, I get to leave the house, get to go do something. Even oh, if it's boring yeah. stuff we normally hate. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're moving, you know, I got to sign some, sign some papers. They send them to me that like the digital papers I got to sign. It's like, Hey, like, do you mind if I just swing by and sign in person? <laughs> you know, like I could use a little stretch of the old legs. Um, so yeah, man, this is, uh, this is, this is maddening. This is tough for everybody, especially like, you know, so, uh, don't, don't hate on your boys. If they, if they stick you into COVID protocol and you miss a game out of this, um, we can all be disappointed together, but it's tough. So I, I want to be an up-tempo offense today in, in our preview episode, because for the first time since 2009, I'll, I'll credit Chris, the bear Felica of ESPN for the stat. First time since 2009, we do not have a ranked v ranked matchup per the AP poll. That's that's crazy to me. And there's still some games I'm interested in, but I don't think there are any games this weekend that truly deserve the the deep dive treatment that we, that we gave Notre Dame, Clemson, and Florida, Georgia uh, last weekend. So I'm thinking, let's just go no huddle. Let's go three four minutes on each of these games. We got six or seven picked out. You know, if we end up going deep dive on one, whatever. Uh, but just kind of give give the listeners a little little preview, and if we go fast, we'll get to more of these mailbag questions because we know we have quite a bit. Let's do it. Uh, where do you want to start here? What's what's the first one on the on on the list? I first down. I want to go Miami Miami V Tech. I mean, this is an interesting game to me. That the line based on what just happened last week kind of stinks. V Tech is a two point favorite over the Hurricanes, and, and both of these teams basically just got into shootouts, one score shootouts. The Hokies lost. The Canes won in, in, in beating NC State. VTech, you know, they botched their situation pretty badly at the end of that game against Liberty. Um, you know, calling the timeout. If you want to get into the whole, like, does icing the kicker work? Most of the da- data says it doesn't. But, like, even beyond that, playing that crazy prevent defense and allowing them to hit that that eight yard out to, to make it a much, you know, much easier field goal uh, was not not really great coaching there. And then Miami had, had a bunch of guys out on defense, I, I assume, for either injuries or, or COVID-related stuff, maybe contact tracing. And Bailey Hockman and company dropped 41 on the Hurricanes on, on Friday night. And if not for Miami putting up 630, which was like, I think, 400 through the air and 130 on the ground from Derek King, you know, the Hurricanes could have lost that game. This this is one I'm, I'm fascinated in. It's, it's this Virginia Tech run game, which is awesome. I haven't seen. Is Herbert going to play here? Because I know he missed the game against Liberty, um, against this Miami offense, which wants to go up tempo and uh, a VTech passing defense that is much better than its run defense. I'm I'm interested to see what happens here. And, and this one, like if you lose this one, I think the losing fan base is going to be really disappointed because they, I don't think either of them really expect to make the AC championship game right now. But it is worth something if you finish ahead. If you're Miami, if you finish ahead of, of UNC, you finish ahead of the Hokies in the league. If you lose this, you could end up going eight and three. And then your best wins over who? NC State? Certainly not FSU at this point, not Louisville. Yeah, I noticed that um, Virginia Tech's a favorite here, which is probably surprising to a lot of people when they're coming off a loss to Liberty. And, you know, you you mentioned um, uh, Virginia Tech's Pass defense is better than their run defense. Did you say that? Yeah, and and in watching them, it seems like they're just 
I think they're scared of their secondary, so they're dropping everybody back and they're they're dying by, by like a thousand paper cuts. Which which is it's interesting because it that um addresses that that sort of fits Miami's strengths offensively to a degree. Um I conversely, Miami like they're because their defense, you know, you think about Miami and you think about these playmakers on their defense, you think about their defensive line, and um it's and yet, you know, it gave up 41 points to NC State the other night. And um, I think it's it's an interesting matchup here because Miami is really good defending the pass, I think in part because those pass rushers can get after you so effectively and, and make the quarterback uncomfortable. Defensively, and, and granted, this is a top, let's see, top 25 defense, S&P Plus. Um, but it's it's not great against the run. Like it's pretty average against the run in terms of run game success rate, opportunity rate, um, efficiency. Like pretty average to below average in those areas, and and that's sort of exactly what Virginia Tech is going to try to do. I mean, they're going to try to run with the quarterback. They're going to try to run with the backs. They're going to try to you know they the, the pass game is very much a complement to what they're trying to do offensively. So I, I think that this is an interesting matchup and uh, you know, we keep on waiting for Miami to, to slip up and granted, like they've, they've been winning. Uh, it hadn't always looked pretty. Uh, in fact, a few of them have looked downright ugly, particularly the last two, but um, this is another one that I think is going to be, be tricky for them to get past. And I, I think they're very much a potential, um, loss here but i just I, you know i i feel like i've been predict, predicting that here a lot recently i i agree that the one the one advantage i really see for the Hokies in this game is i i think their offensive line is much better than miami's offensive line i, I think virginia tech probably has the second best offensive line in the acc this year uh second to really only notre dame I, i've been very impressed with with what fuente has done there with that offensive line um but on the flip side the Hokies' defensive line is, is simply not good. And Miami's major weakness, I would say, before last week I would have said it was receiver, but but their receivers. Mark Pope actually caught the ball multiple times on difficult catches in that game the other night. Yeah, and, I saw him and, make a few plays. Yeah, yeah, and D. Wiggins like started playing like, like, like somebody that you know we were happy to rate highly. It was like, oh, welcome back to the party, guys. This is cool. Like This is what we saw you balling out. I, I, I don't feel like a crazy person having seen these guys kill it in South Florida you know, in seven-on-seven seven in, in, in high school. Um, and, and watch him not do anything in college. But Miami's offensive line has not been very good, but conversely, VTech's D-line has also uh, kind of struggled. So I, it's sort of strength v. strength and weakness v. weakness here. I, I'll be watching this one for sure. This is one of the best matches of the day, in my opinion, and it will probably be pointsy unless we get some weather. That's kind of my, my hunch as well. I, I just think both these teams are – their defensive strengths align with the other team's offensive weaknesses – as opposed to their other, the other team's offensive strengths. Um, I, I, TCU, West Virginia, maybe not pointsy. Mm. I don't think I'm going to see, I don't think we're going to see a lot of points in this one. Yeah. The kind of sneaky subject this year, the quarterback play in the Big 12, it's just kind of bad, man. Like oh, TCU last weekend, uh, wait, who were they? they were playing at what, Texas Tech? Yeah. Because yeah. because Matt Wells kicked that insane field goal, um, which didn't make any sense. I don't know if you saw that or not, but, uh, so, 
TCU opens up, they're throwing, they throw a pick on, on one of the first plays of the game. After that, they're like, yeah, we're just going to run the ball. And they ran for like 270 on, on Texas Tech. If you're West Virginia, you have to sell out to stop the run here because the TCU passing game in recent weeks has, you know, has, has not been great. And the West Virginia defense, on the other hand, this is a really good defense. Now, maybe part of their numbers are propped up because they played Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State didn't have Spencer Sanders, who I think his value is kind of debatable at this point. And, you know, like they, they played it when, when Oklahoma State was still trying to figure things out with their backup quarterbacks and their offensive line issues. But they also, like, they've, they held Baylor to 21, and it was an ugly 21 for Baylor. They, they had to work for it. Um, you know, they, they, they did give up 34 to Texas Tech, but that was some kind of crazy stuff. In that one, they, they held Texas to 17 last weekend in a loss. They held Kansas State to 10. This Mountaineer defense is legit, and I think that's the reason they're favored because TCU's offense is not good. Virginia's offense is not good, but TCU's defense is inconsistent, I guess. Like some days it looks really good, and other days it just looks looks bad. So that, that to me, that's why West Virginia is favored here. I just want to see, can Gary Patterson do enough to stop this West Virginia pass game and and see if if he can force him to run the ball on them. TCU's to me one of the weirder teams this year. Like I I can't really figure out what TCU is all about. I mean Max Duggan is I feel like he is um, more of a like more of a run threat than a pass threat this year. Not that that's anything different than than last year necessarily, but. Um, they seem like they they have enough weapons on the outside to be better throwing the football. Um, I, defensively, like you said, I mean, they've, they've sort of been keeping games lower scoring for the most part, but their defense has hadn't exactly been a dominant unit or, or even a consistent unit. Um, I, I just, I can't figure them out. And so, you know, West Virginia, what's the line in that game? Do you have it? Uh, three. Yeah, three over under of uh, 45. So people kind of understand this is going to be a defensive game. Who's favored? Uh, Mountaineers. Yeah, I would. That, okay. If I was uh, going to play this, I would pro- probably probably play. What, what's what's the what's the team total here for uh, Barton? A uh, uh, vamp for me real fast and I'll, I'll figure out what the team total is. I don't know what vamping means. But it just I means kind of kind of uh, stall. <laughs> so, so team total will be like twenty one for TCU and twenty four for West Virginia. I I could see playing TCU under twenty one, especially if Duggan is still dinged up. Yeah, I I think um, I think West Virginia at least has been a team that we know what we're getting. Yeah. Um. So I, I so like I yeah I think you're gonna get a low scoring game. I think West Virginia is. To me, a team I trust more, but I think TCU, if it clicks, then it's, you know, TCU probably has the better players. I don't know. It's like that. I, I like TCU, TCU's personnel better, but I think West Virginia has 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 put together a more cohesive product on the field to, the, to this point. The uh, the West, West Virginia D-line so far has been really good. The, the, the Stills guys are like Dante and Darius kind of mm-hmm. killing it for them. I, I've been impressed. Um. They got uh, Tony Fields having a good year too. I think that the uh, the transfer in from Arizona at linebacker, um, they've just got some pretty good personnel on that side of the ball. They do. It, it's it's a, it's a good scheme. They don't give up a whole lot of explosive plays, you know. And they like they, they created a havoc up front. I'm, their offense, I have a hard time getting behind. Their offensive line doesn't get any kind of push, but 
defensively in a year in which there's not very many good quarterbacks in the Big 12 this year, it's enough to win win games. I mean, they they could finish they could finish six and four. They could finish five and five. And I think if you're a Mountaineer fan, you absolutely take that. And I'm not trying to tell them they should be happy about that. But like, look, in this kind of year, 500 or better in the Big 12, I'm, I'm taking that. No, I mean, when a year when, they're, again, all you're playing is Big 12 games, right? All you're playing is conference games. And so it's it's real easy to slip up a couple of times in your schedule and your record looking really bad. And for Neil Brown to have sort of grinding, to be grinding out the wins the way he is, even if they've lost a couple that, that you'd like back Texas in particular um, for them to be grinding out these wins. Like that's, I think that's, that's what you were hoping for in this year. I mean, I think that's a little bit of a best case scenario situation. Totally agree. All right. The final four games on this slate, which I don't know why it fell this way, but th- these are the ones that are more interesting to me. They're all kind of in that, that single digit spread uh, range. So anybody could win. Although in this year, double digit favorites are, are losing at an incredible rate. Anyway, Let's go ahead and go to the Big Ten. I want to start Indiana, the Hoosiers that we gave a lot of credit to on the Sunday night show. We compared them to 2019 Minnesota where they were lucky first and then maybe good second, you know, second half of the year. And Michigan State. The line is only seven here. Does that surprise you? No. Um, Because Indiana is – I still think Indiana is – a team that probably Vegas is pegging as a really good team, kind of in the and we'll we'll talk against Northwestern Purdue in a little bit. But like, I mean, when Purdue has been good, when Purdue has been Big Ten West contenders, it's I'm sorry, when Northwestern's been good, when Northwestern's been Big Ten West contenders, it's been this, um, you know, just find ways to win type of team, and they win close, but they're. But they 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 figure out ways. It, it feels like this is sort of what this Indiana team is. Um, I know it looked a little bit prettier last weekend against Michigan, but I just don't know that Indiana is ever a team that needs to be favored by double digits against a quality. I don't know if Michigan State's a quality opponent or not. That's another story. But um, I'm not sure that they've they've proved because there's still two out of three games the offense has looked average, um, and it, it broke out a little bit against Michigan. But I still don't know. I trust Indiana to win. I don't know if I'm I'm ready to start trusting Indiana to to win big. I, I trust Indiana to make the uh make the Michigan State offense look look bad. You Agreed. Know? Like like mm-hmm. that that's something that, that I can absolutely buy into. Do you trust Indiana to not look ahead to the game at Ohio State next weekend? I mean this isn't this is an absolute look ahead spot if there ever was one. They just beat Michigan they're three and zero for the first time that, that I mean in, in a long time, I'm pretty sure. Then you get little plucky Michigan State. Michigan State just got its doors blown off by by Iowa. Michigan State's offense is is pretty bad. Michigan State's defense is I don't think that bad. Indiana, by the way, like I, I went back and watched that that Michigan game because I was going to write something on like why is Michigan's defense so bad. And I know this is very like counter narrative, but Barton, I was not that sad about what I saw from Michigan's defense against Indiana on a lot of those plays. Like, a lot of those dudes, they didn't have terrible coverage. They, they weren't, like, not looking for the ball. They Indiana's receivers just went up and straight mossed them. Like, they just made really good plays. And it wasn't, like, blown coverages. You know, it wasn't really poor technique. I mean, Fyler and those dudes just went up and, and made some, some NFL-type catches, which I guess if you're a Michigan fan, you could be a little bit 
like taking some comfort that, hey, at least we're not totally out of position in blowing coverages. Uh, on the other hand, it's not great if we're if our personnel is getting mossed by guys in Indiana, uh, given the you know, his, history of those programs. But I think that yeah, I think that's an interesting issue. point. I think that's an interesting point. Um, but I think that's why we're going to have a rankings meeting here in about I don't know whenever we get off this 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 podcast, basically two today, two we got a long one and. The discussion is going to be and should be when a cornerback comes up, what are his ball skills like? You know, what how how effective is he making plays uh, in the deep part of the field? And that's why I think like being athletic enough, being in position in today's game is is taking a backseat to being able to play the ball. And I agree with you. Like Michigan's guys weren't getting out athleted necessarily. They're just getting out. There's there's getting beaten for the football and I just don't think Michigan's DB's corners are, are very good at playing the ball in the air right now um, and it's a hard job like it's a really hard job I played I mean I played safety like I I've I felt great about my position in a football before and and gotten beat on it and it's you come back to the huddle and you're like you know like you feel good athletically but you got to make the play and um, and so I think it's an interesting point and I don't, I don't know whether I agree with it or not. Um, but I think that I think Indiana has shown the ability to, um, yeah, I got, I, I, I just think that they've got like those Indiana has always been like that. It feels like to me too. Like they've always had these, who, who was, um, I'm going to forget these guys names, but it seems like they always have one, like board, one or two borderline NFL outside receivers. And they just throw it up to them, especially and, in recent years. Yeah, yeah, in recent years. And sometimes they make plays and they they scare a team. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but it feels like there's a little bit of that in this Indiana team this year as well. I, I completely agree with you. Um, ultimately, the reason I, I I trust Indiana to get it done here is because Indiana's defense, I I think, is pretty decent, man. Like they, I know they gave up 35 to Penn State, and you know part of that was was the overtime. Um, but like I, Mich- Indiana's defense does give up some some really explosive plays. But on a down to down basis, I I don't think they're that bad. And, and I, I I trust the Tom Allen team to to play pretty good defense. You know, the offense is what I've had more questions about, and it it did look better against Michigan. Uh, so early hunch for me here is an under because I agree with you on Indiana's huh. defense. Um, but did you did so the the Iowa Michigan State game? Like Iowa punted it like seven times in that game. They they just they just punted it really effectively. And they had a a kick return, a punt return touchdown. They had an interception return touchdown. Um, you know, so it wasn't like Iowa's offense was I, I, I'm not saying that Iowa's offense wasn't effective. I think, but I think it was like a I think it were like, you know, five yards plus yards per play and Michigan State was like four point two or something. You know, they 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 outgamed them, but but yeah. not by any like you know obscene margin. So I, I just wonder if this is going to settle into a game that Indiana just figures out a way to win. I I had the uh, I had the under uh, team total of Michigan State in that Iowa game. Um, I just I figured Iowa was not going to allow the explosive play, and that's really all Michigan State has had, right? Like they're. On a, on a consistency basis, Michigan State is horrendous, and their 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 run game is, I mean, like, like looking at, at Bill Connolly's numbers, SP plus, 
rushing success, rushing success rate, a buck 20, rushing marginal efficiency, 120th, explosiveness, 121st, opportunity rate, 122nd, stuff rate allowed, 112th. I mean, Michigan State kind of has this thing going on, like Jeremy Pruitt style, where they think their run game is, is okay or good, and they just keep trying it. Now, I don't think Rocket Lombardi's good, but um, Michigan State team total unders are, are not a bad thing, I, I think, for maybe at least another week here. I did play the under in this at 53 when it came out. I thought it should be like 48, and uh, it's dropped by like a point or two. It's, what is it now, 50? No, back up 52, so I'm only getting a point of value there. Hope we get some wind or something. Um, that'll be interesting. So from one from one uh, one team that we think we have a decent idea on to one that I, I – good luck figuring this one out. We'll talk yeah. about it. Penn State, Nebraska. Do you have confidence in your opinion on on either of these teams? <laughs> I had I had confidence in my opinion on Penn State until last weekend. I still like heading into that game. I was convinced Penn State was still a good team. I mean, I, I just I'm so dumbfounded by that that game. And and I, I the only explanation I can come up with is maybe it was just a team that hadn't had sort of quit. We've, we've talked about that a little bit before, um, having lost to Indiana and, and Ohio State. But both of those games were perfectly respectable showings, unless like Indi- like Ohio State gave up, what, 20-something to Rutgers? Um, they're, like, maybe, and, and now Penn State, what are, we, what, what are we to make of Penn State? Week one, Ohio State played, who did they play week one? Nebraska. Yep. And there were some moments in that first half where Nebraska seemed like they could run with them. I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like sell your Ohio state stock, but I am, but I do think it's worth acknowledging. Like we may not even really know on Ohio state yet. Uh, I think the Penn, the Penn state response to Maryland last week is, is as, as much of a reason to um, question that as anything, but that said, I still suspect that this Penn State team is 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 good. I still suspect this defense is good. I still think, you know, Jahan Dotson at least is, is emerging as a good wide receiver. We know Fat Pat Fryermuth is good at the tight end position. We know Sean Clifford is what he is, but you know, you can win with him. They have. So I'm not, I'm not really I'm a, I'm gonna right my lean right now is that last week was just an outlier performance, toss it out. Let's see if they, let's see if they sort of validate or refute it this weekend. Nebraska, on the other hand, um, I don't know. Like I I hate to, I'm always a little bit reluctant to distill things down to just the quarterback, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get there a little bit with Nebraska because I, it's been a while since the quarterback has really looked good. I mean, and they played two last weekend. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if people caught this in, in the second half. Uh, it, it wasn't all Adrian Martinez. I mean, it, it was it was Luke McCaffrey as well. Um, they, they it might be reps. time. It might just be time to go Luke McCaffrey. And because I just don't I, don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in Adrian Martinez at this point. One positive for Nebraska uh, is it, it seems like they're starting to get some of their young guys involved at the skill positions. Marcus Fleming had like five catches last week for 75 yards. Um, you know, Xavier Betts, I think had a couple catches, uh, Omar Manning had like one target on the day, I think. So he, that was his first game back. He's a junior college transfer, talented guy. 
if if they can start getting some of those guys involved in a more meaningful way, maybe that provides some life. But um, I don't know. It feels like blind faith right now with Nebraska, doesn't it? It it, it does. Um, one thing in looking at Penn State, I, the reason that I I have a little bit of faith in Penn State is that I think Penn State a lot of that game last week was they just, just a hangover from Ohio state and realizing that your goals are basically shot for the year. And the reason I think that is because I I've seen the guys, Maryland recruits and I've seen the guy Penn state recruits and Penn state as a four touchdown favorite lost to Maryland by 16 points. And if you look at the adjusted scoring margin, like basically what, what the box score suggests should have happened. It was negative 29. So like yeah. Penn state should have lost by more. Yeah, you saying sixteen points like didn't sound like enough from yeah. from watching that game, right? I mean, like they they're four four touchdown favorite who played like like they should have lost by four touchdowns, which is insane. And to me, that just that suggests a team that that didn't show up. If Penn State can get off the mat, Penn State should win this game. Now, stylistically, I will note, and I have no faith in Nebraska's quarterback situation. I maybe I have some unjustified faith in in Scott Frost and his ability to coach offense. The Nebraska run game is not bad. Actually, their passing game is just, you know, pretty horrendous. They're unable to hit any, any kind of explosive plays. So maybe, like you said, Omar Manning getting involved, some of those young guys getting involved could help. Uh, take a look at Nebraska's defense. Nebraska 29th in SP plus rush defense, 118th in SP plus pass defense. Penn State's going to have to throw this ball effectively if it wants to win the game, unless its defense just absolutely balls out. And so far, I mean, like any game where, hey, like the, the thought is Sean Clifford has to play well is not a game that gives me warm fuzzies. Listen to what we're saying about Nebraska. It's kind of the framework of our doubts about Nebraska, right? It's their, like you just mentioned, their past game. I would mention their young receivers needing to get involved. You mentioned their past defense. You know, it's the run game that's kind of okay. It's the rush defense that's decent. It, it's It's basically... Nebraska and Scott Frost's inability to recreate from a skill perspective what they had at Oregon and UCF. Um, and so I just wonder if that's uh, if that is a indicator that it's it it may be tough to accomplish at Nebraska or if that's just an indicator that it's it hasn't happened yet and when they start getting a couple of those dudes it'll turn. Um, but the autopsy of Nebraska is, is always going to be fascinating to me, even even like in future administrations, future coaching staffs. Like I like just the Nebraska experience, the Nebraska um, um, challenges is is always going to be interesting to me. And I, I still think that like we're still waiting on on seeing Nebraska look like it has the athletes that Scott Frost wants, and it doesn't feel like they do. And I don't know whether that's just a you know the the, the progression of time will bring them. Or if it's just like an indictment on Scott Frost, like, get it done. Why, why haven't you gotten it done? Do, do you sense any of the quit in Nebraska that we seem to see in Penn State? Well, I guess we find out this weekend because they've only played two games. And they played Ohio State. They knew they were going to lose that one. Got the second game canceled. That was a missed opportunity because that's a game they might have been able to win. Um, and, you know, like Northwestern's a – that's a tough team to judge anybody off of because Northwestern's going to dig you into the deep end of the pool. 
drag you, drag you to deep waters and just make you play their style of football. And, um, I don't know. So I, so I think this is, this is absolutely Penn state might win, but we need like, if, if we're going to sort of bet on Nebraska, not quitting this year, this is the game where we find out whether they're, they're, they're bought in. I agree. All right. So let's go ahead to another game that we really don't have a great feel for kind of a theme this week. Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan reports are that Graham Mertz could be back because it seems like he's going to be able to practice some. Will he play is a different basically question. he's yeah, basically it's healthy, but is it is it realistic to expect him to be able to get on the field as a starter or significant minutes having not practiced for two weeks? Uh yeah, which that also is contingent on who else is available to play quarterback for Wisconsin because or or anywhere. Well, right. <laughs> like anywhere on the team. Yeah. So like Jack Cohn, who would normally be the backup or the starter, depending on, on what you believe preseason. Um He's out with what foot surgery, I believe. So, their third third string kid was was caught was caught up in the contact tracing or, or whatever there, and I don't know if he's been cleared. I, reports are reports are very unclear on this because these schools kind of hide behind the whole player medical privacy thing, which is understandable. Um, so the question is like, how ready can Mertz be? Well, that's a relative question compared to the fourth stringer. I bet you he's probably pretty ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like compared to. A walk-on, probably extremely ready. But we also don't know who's going to be playing around Graham Mertz. How many other guys who, like, they had to pause that that football activities and pause that program for a reason. It wasn't just Mertz. I mean, it was Mertz, some players, some staff, I believe, right? So we don't really know who's going to play for Wisconsin. No. and But at the same time, again, a team we don't trust in Michigan – nor does anybody. This isn't the thing about it. It's not just us. You shouldn't trust Michigan. If you have no reason to trust them uh, against a team, even coming off of two weeks of quarantine, I just tend to trust Michigan a little bit more in this spot. Whether it's Graham Merce, uh, Chase Wolf, Danny Vandenboom, whoever the Wisconsin quarterback you're trotting out there. They're going to be who they're going to be. Barry Alvarez is still the AD, right? Like that's still, it's still the, the top down approach there. So, um, you know, I, I think that defense is still going to be really sound and, and, and tough for Michigan to move the football on. So, uh, I, I, man, it'd be real hard for me, regardless of what we learn about Wisconsin in the next 36 to, or 72 hours or, you know, to, to feel comfortable with Michigan. What's the line on this game? I believe it's four. Uh, let me check here. Wisconsin four-point favorite? Yeah. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, as you were talking – oh, no, it's actually four and a half. But, okay, four and a half over under 54. So, implied score there is like what? You know, 28, 24, 29, 25-ish. I, I feel like this is a game that I'm absolutely going to wait to bet on and, and play live. I'm, I'm going to basically ha- have my depth chart from the preseason – on the Badgers and say, okay, who's out there, right? And then cross them off, cross them off, cross them off, cross them off. And then before the algorithm can figure out that, hey, Wisconsin doesn't have this guy out or this guy out, I'm going to probably make, make my wager. If they're full strength, I think I'd probably play the Badgers. If they're missing a whole lot of guys, I'll probably wait a drive and you know just, just see how Michigan looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan also has another guy out. I, I think Hutchinson's out on the defensive yeah. line. Yeah, for this game, which you know, could be a pretty big deal for them, 
we, we know their secondary is is kind of suspect. Here's a question for you. How jealous is Phil Fulmer of Barry Alvarez? Because like clearly Fulmer wants wants to basically still be coaching and, and you know kind of wants to coach through Pruitt and you know run his program in that defense, run the ball, toughness image. And it works for Barry Alvarez up there. And yet what Tennessee's doing, and Barton saw in Slack, I dropped in a thing for a project I'm working on. Like it's it's clearly not working. Like Fulmer's got to just just be like, man, why why can't it be me? Why 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 can't it work here? You know, because Alvarez, he's not the coach anymore, but kind of don't say he's still the coach, but he's his fingerprints are still all over that program. I, I think I would lean Wisconsin here. I would too. Um, I mean, Michigan's got Michigan's got to prove it to me. Um, are they on quit watch for you? Oh, for sure. I think, especially now. I mean, I, I think Aiden Hutchinson is one of their better leaders. Um, you know, this is, I mean, this is a team that is, I mean, like, now granted they do have some young players, especially on offense, um, that I think that it's, it's funny how like that's almost, and I don't know whether I'm reading that wrong. Maybe I am, but my hunch here is that a team is more likely to be, to sort of start to, to cash in their chips a little bit on the season if they're veterans that are don't have anything to play for anymore maybe i'm wrong what's the theory on that but and my cuz the my thinking is all right well if you got a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that are getting their first taste like they they want it all like they want it, they you know they they haven't had this opportunity yet like but maybe that's the wrong take i guess it just depends on what the leadership looks like in the room no i i think you're exactly right that young guys are playing for their future, playing for the impressions they're making on, on these coaches. They they have less agency about them. I, I think generally compared to old guys, you know, old guys who who may have problems with the staff or just aren't really bought in, and and they, you know, they they worked off season for you know to 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 have goals, and yeah. you know now now they don't. I, I I think that the quit factor is probably lower with a younger team. You know, yeah, that's something to monitor. And I and Michigan strike, you know, Michigan is it's, on offense at least. Michigan is a younger team now. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's why their defense has been so bad, because I think they they got more veterans on the on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, maybe it's time to break out some of those freshmen, Coach Harbaugh, get I, those guys loosened up. I think it could be all right. So the game of the weekend, in my opinion, the game which could be to win the Big Ten West and have the honor of being slaughtered by Ohio State. Northwestern Purdue, man. Like, like I did not think when, when we do our preseason mapping, I really did not think Northwestern Purdue was going to be the game that we're going to sit down to record about 1230 Eastern, you know, on, on November 11th. But I'm going to have the Masters on my main TV. This is probably going to get the, like, like one of the desktop monitor treatment. And I'll, I'll maybe, maybe I'll get Penn State, Nebraska or something, laptop treatment or, or you know, iPad treatment. This is going to be pretty big, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. Both teams undefeated in the conference. If Purdue wins, they have a really easy road to to get to you know the the Big Ten West title or the Big Ten title game because there there's a decent chance they could be favored in all their remaining games with the exception of of at Indiana. I mean, they still have Minnesota, Rutgers, Nebraska, Indiana. They get to dodge Wisconsin. 
And Purdue's not been playing that bad. You know, they're they're two and zero. They're that game against Illinois. They they thumped they thumped Illinois pretty well. I mean, I, the, the you know final score was a touchdown, but I, I thought I thought they played pretty well. Northwestern, meanwhile, uh, we we got some hate on Twitter. I uh, well, we get it. What, what did we get hate on Twitter about? We're loving up Northwestern too much. No, no, from Northwestern fans saying that twenty four seven hates Northwestern. Of course, despite the fact that you and I have talked about Northwestern a lot. What uh, are we talking about? Like, I've been the we biggest the only Northwestern service? stand in America. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm a bigger saying. Northwestern fan than Northwestern fans are. All right, so they were responding to this article that that I wrote, which you know we we needed we needed some articles or some content yesterday, and I had to look at teams who could have a rough finish compared to how they started, right? And I said, okay, well, Northwestern's three and zero. Their remaining schedule: Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Minnesota, Illinois, like. Compared to how they started, that could be kind of kind of a rough finish. I, I got to tell you, man, I'm a little bit skeptical of this offense now. This is back-to-back weekends against defenses that I think are somewhere between decent to below average, Iowa and, and Nebraska, where, where this Wildcat offense has not looked very good. 20 points or 21 points against Iowa, 21 points against Nebraska. And more and more to me, I wonder if that week one performance against Maryland wasn't a little bit of a mirage because I don't think Maryland was prepared for that game on either side of the ball. Like they looked like a team that hadn't hit in practice, almost like Navy against BYU. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't know. I may be pumping the brakes a little bit on, on my love for, for this wildcat offense. And you and I were both really excited about this. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, we, we need to come back down to earth on the Northwestern offense. Agreed. Uh, I watched, um, a decent amount of that Nebraska game, and it, it is, it's a little bit more Northwestern than you know we thought after the Maryland game. That said, the Northwestern philosophy for the 2020 season, as one of the great Northwestern philosophers of the year, um, I, I can I can speak to this. Uh, the philosophy is not necessarily that the offense becomes Oklahoma uh, or Ohio State or even like Purdue. The philosophy is that it becomes competent and the defense is still good and Northwestern wins close games just like it did against Iowa, just like it did against Nebraska. Like It's doing the Northwestern stuff over the last two weeks. First week, we thought it might be something crazy. But over the last two weeks, no, it's just it's just regular old Northwestern. But the offense isn't turning the ball over and throwing pick sixes. Now they did turn it over against Nebraska, but they're not throwing pick sixes. They're they're able to possess the football. They're able to get first downs, and that's enough. And so, I still think the the tenets hold true here, and that the Northwestern can be uh, capable of of because yeah, like they could. They could theoretically win out too. Um, I know they have to play in Wisconsin, uh, but that's, I mean, those are like styles and th- that's going to be a close game, um, I think. But I don't know. Northwestern's fascinating to me. But I, and, 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 and it's crazy to think that Purdue and Northwestern both have paths to undefeated seasons. So uh, Northwestern here is favored by three points. The over under is, uh, is 50 or 51. I, 
I'm inclined to look at an over here, despite the fact that uh, we, we just discussed Northwestern's offense. You know, is maybe not quite as improved as we had hoped that it would be, as as you just outlined. I, Purdue can really throw the ball. Now they're they're not hitting these big explosive plays, but they're all the rest of their numbers light up as green on my screen. I mean, 71 percent completions, 24th in passing success rate. Like they can they can really chuck it around, and that that's without Rondell Moore. Uh, you know, so so far, like I'm. Is he back? Like, is he going to be back? Have you seen him? I haven't on that? heard any, no. I haven't heard anything on Rondell Moore. But still, like David Bell is is balling out. This this kid named Milton Wright. It, I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. him as a recruit, and, and I I'm coming up empty just off the top of my head. No, he was he was a he, he was a four star. I think. Where was he out of Indianapolis? Uh, he's a Kentucky kid, I think. Kentucky. Okay. Um, look at this, Barton knowing off the top of his head. That is that is big time. Did you pull him up? Am I right? I think he was a Kentucky kid. Uh, I mean, I, I, we yeah. probably should. Yeah, he's a Louisville kid. Okay. Was he what? Class of 19? Yep. Okay. Uh, 16 targets, 13 catches, buck 85, one tutty. That's that's a hell of a second receiver. I mean, on I know, man. Can you imagine if you throw Rondale in the mix between those two? Because he's a, he's a bigger outside guy. David Bell is a bigger outside guy. Put Rondale in the slot there. Golly, man. I'd Let's get him out. I don't know what the deal. I haven't even heard specifically if it's an injury or COVID or, or what or NCAA is whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like who knows? But man, just for the sake of all of our fandom, let's let's get him out there. I I I, I want to see Rondale. I I think Purdue has a shot to win this game. My, my main concern with Purdue though here, my, my main one, they are 117th in stuff rate allowed. This Purdue offensive line. Despite the fact they're throwing the ball around pretty well, it, it does not pass protect very well as far as like the ability to hit deep shots. And it gives them very little in the run game. Too many of these drives are getting knocked off course by you know, defensive linemen making tackles for loss in the backfield because the offensive line of, of Purdue is, is just not up to snuff. But I'm, I, I have some faith. I, I have some faith that Purdue can, can get this done. And if they do... They're going to have a legitimate shot to win the West. Now, Wisconsin, because they're playing the Michigan game, is still going to be eligible to win the West. And if they run the table, then you know Purdue will have to run the table to match. But ultimately, here this is this is a game that is very likely to be for the West. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an interesting matchup because, like you said, and, and and Purdue is effective throwing the football, but it's almost like it throws the football as its run game. Like yes, it's not it's not a super explosive passing attack like. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd play. I would be scared. What's the total? Do you have it? Uh, yeah, total is. Wait, where I put this? Uh, fifty-one. Yeah, I mean, I as someone that held a losing ticket for uh, Nebraska Northwestern over fifty-four play last week, I think it was. I sure would be scared to be holding a an over card once again for uh for a Northwestern game against. I don't know two teams that I could see mucking around a little bit. It is hard, by the way, really hard, Barton, to to pick overs that lose this year. Like overs are hitting at an incredible rate, and I think we both found one last weekend. At, at least one, if not two. I mean, it, I found it's, two. I found two of the lost. I found one to one, but I found two of the lost. Last night in uh, Bowling Green, Kent State, I played over sixty-five and a half live, and then under what seventy-eight and a half live. I think it was. So I had a really nice middle shot, looking great. Turned the TV off. I'm tired and going to bed. Kent State throws, or they, they hit a 25-yard run and then a 25-yard pass to score with like two minutes left. I'm like, okay. 
Bowling Green comes back and houses a 69-yard run on the very very last play. So they, they put up 14 points. I mean, the last last uh, two minutes and 10 seconds. To, uh, uh, is that where that that one came? I, I was uh, I was all over Kent State laying 20 and a half. That was a layup. I was also on Buffalo. That's uh, yeah, I had Buffalo live. Two 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 straight um, weekends where I've won four bets, uh, fading Brian Van Gorder and betting Buffalo. Uh, that's that's been a good formula so far in the MAC. I don't know what Van Gorder's buyout is, but like that coaching staff just strikes me as one of the ones that just didn't make any sense when they got hired. Uh, them, you know, Gary Anderson making those comments at, at Utah State, who, who who got you know got released. Less miles at Kansas didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, sometimes they just don't make a lot of sense, and that one Les is uh, is one of them. Less miles made no sense, but I will I will acknowledge that I didn't think Mac Brown made a lot of sense either. That's and fair. That Agreed. that's hit, but less less miles has not. So I'm I'm kind of one for two on uh, on those. And you know, Herm Edwards, I wasn't sure how exactly. He would do. Yeah. yeah, and he's yeah. he's doing really well, I think. And now, now, granted, I do think Herm Edwards, like he gets credit, I think, for doing better than people thought. But the reality is, he has yet to do better than his predecessor, right? So, right. The the whole point of firing Todd Graham was the fact that we're like the athletic director was saying that we're not satisfied with seven win seasons. And we should be playing for Pac-12 championships. And Herm Edwards has done an, a, a pretty good job, but they're still having kind of seven-win type seasons. So I think that's an interesting one to, to continue to monitor. All right, dude, going to throw it to the ad break here. Uh, as a reminder as well, we're a CBS-owned company. Watch the Masters. Watch the Masters on CBS. You can watch every single shot on CBS, CBS All Access. Hit it up. On the opposite side of the ad break, we're going to get to our mailbag questions here. I'm pretty excited about a couple of these, and uh, we'll get into it in just a second. All right, so we're back, uh, and we're going to lead off here with our mailbag. Most of these questions come from the Apple Podcast Review section. Hit us with five stars. Hit us with your question. We've had a lot of new five stars. Uh, To the guy who asked about Texas and possible coaching candidates, we actually discussed that four shows ago. So I I don't want to waste showtime going over that again, Uh, but that that was a good question. We appreciate your five-star review, certainly. Let's lead off here with uh, with Tiger Ten and Tiger asks, "Do you think we will see more players opt out mid season?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think we will. We have we haven't even talked about Florida State on this pod yet, have we? No. So Florida State today had several more opt out slash transfer announcements. Uh, James Blackman, who's been a backup quarterback there this year, previous starter, he's opting out. Marvin Wilson. Uh, had a knee procedure and is uh, going to be out the rest of the season. I don't know if they're officially going to call that an opt-out, but you know, basically getting ready for the draft. Tamari and Terry is opting out. We'll see if he transfers or, or it's, just declares. It's funny, like Tamari and Terry, I don't know whether it was how it was phrased by Norvell and Florida State, but it was phrased by the media, not even as opting out. It was just no longer with the team. <laughs> Which sounds like, like a, a transfer portal type thing, but... You know, some of these guys don't want to use the term opt out. I was told because it makes it look like they're quitters as opposed to, I don't know, just preparing for the draft. And that, that's totally their own prerogative. And this is a really weird season. I, I don't blame those guys for the most part for doing that. But I think you could absolutely start to see this at other programs. My, my friend Mark Ennis, who does Louisville and or does radio in Louisville, he's like, we need to treat these final four or five games of the year like it's a bowl season. And we see guys opt out of bowls all the time and, and sit out of bowls. I, I think we are absolutely going to start to see more of this, especially among you know draft eligible players, players who are not happy 
players who would rather just go home. And honestly, some of these guys can just do this and come back next year because it, the NCAA says you can't hold it against them like that. Yeah, I, I just I don't know, man. This is um, it's kind of quitting now. It's kind of quitting, uh, but it's 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 also this is like it's it's not just quitting in a normal season. It's um, I mean, like there's you know Paris Ford opts out at Pitt. You know, as a, like a week after he basically had a blow up fight on the sideline with coaches, there's just gonna be a lot of frustration boiling over this season because if you're having a tough year and most teams are having tough years, most teams, the majority of college football teams are having a tough year because they don't have the group of five wins to make them feel a little better between beat up sessions with their big brother. Um, so most teams are having a bad year. Most teams are having a disappointing year and most players are probably disappointed and still have to go back to the facility every day and get, a swab stuck up their nose and then go home to their dorm room where all they can do is play video games and study. And Not, PS5 is coming out. So, I mean, like, like, like PS5 might, might cause more opt-outs, but it also might increase player safety. I mean, like what, what, what better to, to get these guys to not go out and party than, than PS5? I mean, like nobody hates PS5 more than girlfriends. Yeah. At least thanks, Thanksgiving's coming. And I think like schools aren't going to have, Kids aren't coming back on campus after Thanksgiving. Maybe that slows down the, the, uh, the spread on football teams because they'll be kind of the only people on campus. But yes, I think more opt-outs are coming. I, I think that's very possible. Okay, so what do we have next? Uh, let's Danny take Ainge. little hoops. Oh, you want little hoops? Okay. All right, so let's talk the next big one. The, the next big thing once Trevor goes pro, Arch Manning. Uh, one handicap, the odds of where he commits and attends. The other, how, the other play. Uh, the other play in oh play NFL GM and look after the suspect QB rooms of 2026. <laughs> <laughs> Overall question: How good can he be? I mean, if, so just, if, if, just the the to to clue everyone in that doesn't familiar. Arch Manning is the son of Cooper Manning, nephew of Peyton and Eli, grandson of of Archie. He is a 2023 prospect. That means a current sophomore at uh in in new orleans and he is he is our number one quarterback in the class of 2023 right now the, the best thing i can say about this is like we do not know how good he is going to be right like it is very hard to project future development from the freshman year but he looks about as good as you could possibly look for for a freshman like we'd rather have you look like this than not look like this right i mean it one of the things that made trevor special was just how damn good he was as a as a freshman in high school, and then kept improving throughout his entire high school career. Uh, I have no idea what these NFL teams are going to look like in twenty twenty six. That might be a question we should save for the off season. And he doesn't really give away a whole lot in, in his recruiting right now. Are there any crystal balls for for Arch Manning in right now? No, he hadn't even. And I, I said twenty twenty three. He's he's twenty twenty four. Um, there no twenty twenty three. Right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, there, there are no crystal balls, and even his offer list has had to be sort of uh, engineered by our staff to just sort of hunt it down because he's not, he's not really reporting his offers. He's not really talking to the media, and none of that is diva stuff. That's very understandable because he is a hot name, like, and and to be a hot name at this young with 
Manning, I mean, in your in your signature, like that's going to be an issue, like to just keep him focused and just keep him grounded throughout all this. So I think they're doing the right thing and keeping him kind of um, walled off from the hype. But I have no idea where he's going to go. My suspicion is like, hey, maybe Ole Miss is like going to be uh, an appealing destination by the time he gets to be a senior. Maybe Tennessee is going to be an appealing destination. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that's just sort of like follows his his uncles and dad uh, or grandfather. Um, I think he's probably going to be a guy that, you know, Clemson, you know, Ohio State. I got so one I got, for you. I think he could go somewhere like that. What if Kirby Smart continues to have terrible quarterback play for like the next two or three years? And then in his redemption story, he lands Arch Manning and wins a national title beating division runner-up Tennessee on the way to get there. Like, I mean, it's, it's conceivable. I, I, it's, you know, name a five-star, and I could, I could envision, even if it's a quarterback, I could envision Kirby getting them there. Um, but I think Kirby's got to do a little bit between now and then to prove that he can, he can manage the situation. Yeah, that, that's not been the most quarterback-friendly place, certainly. But yes, Arch Manning is legit. He's big time, we think. He is, uh, he's is. he got a chance to be the number one player in the country. And that's, I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of guys who we could ID in that class right now who we can even say that about. Like, it's, it's just rare that we know about guys that early who, who also project well. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're both good right now and projectable. All right, so let's go ahead and take Danny Ainge's question. Danny Ainge uh, says, as a Buckeyes fan, how long can I expect to hang on to Ryan Day? Unfortunately, with his success, it feels inevitable that some NFL team is going to uh, hit him with a godfather offer sooner rather than later. To me, it's interesting that that he uses the word sooner rather than later here because there's a guy who we've been hearing about who's been a, a sort of an offensive prodigy for longer than Ryan Day has, who has been linked to the Cowboys and everybody else, and that's, that's Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. And, and I think the, the point that I would make here before I turn it over to Barton is it's unique because really the only only real threat you would think to taking Ryan Day away to taking Lincoln Riley away would be the NFL. These are our primo college jobs they have. They're, they're beloved in those towns and by those fan bases. I don't know what Ryan Day wants to do. Now he does have an NFL background, so you know that's that's certainly something that that maybe you know Lincoln Riley does not. But like, is there any indication that? that he wants to, to go do NFL stuff. I, I haven't heard that. I haven't seen that. And he does not strike me as one of these guys, Barton, who hates college because he doesn't like recruiting. He seems to love recruiting. Ohio State is recruiting like maniacs right now. I, I don't think he's he's got a one-way ticket out, out of Columbus anytime soon, unless I'm missing something. No, I mean, and I've heard like a little bit of like, you know, I can't even remember where it came from, but like some sort of, faceless, nameless buzz of, oh, you know, he'll, he'll end up in the NFL someday. Um, but I, I think my deal here is, and it's the same kind of thing with Lincoln Riley, is the college gig is is a pretty sweet gig when you're at those spots. Right. Um, when you're dominating the way you're dominating in your conference, when you're recruiting the way you're recruiting, when you've got the resources that those programs have, that particularly Ohio State has, I think they've got as as... Um, beefed up of a support staff as there is in the sport, 
And then also, I know that Urban Meyer is not necessarily his, um, his, his original mentor, but certainly Urban Meyer is in his life now. Um, and Urban Meyer has always been very anti-NFL because Urban Meyer has always said, like, I can't fathom the idea of winning or losing seven games in a year and being called a success. Um, and so I think he's got that. The other, you know, Ryan Day's got a little bit of Chip Kelly in him. And Chip Kelly is a bit of a cautionary tale uh, from, uh, again, if I say Chip Kelly in him, meaning he's, he has ties to the Chip Kelly's coaching tree. And, and that's a cautionary tale in terms of how the NFL can chew you up and spit you out. And, and so I just, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a no brainer. And I also, but, but that's not to say, I don't think it'll happen. I, I bet it, I think there's a chance it does happen, but I, if it were to happen, I don't think it would happen until he would have accomplished the goal of winning a national championship. Um, Cause then maybe he's checked that box and then he wants a new challenge. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Personally, that's not sourced up, but that's just my hunch. I mean, wh- wh- when did Spurrier finally make the jump? Right, it, like he, he won, he won a national title. He played for two other ones, and I think he eventually got tired of recruiting. He was in the college game for what fifteen years as a head coach with with, with Duke, and and then and then the Gators. So, uh, I yeah, no time soon for me there. I, I don't think. I uh, got about 10 minutes left. So two NLI questions that are kind of related. Uh, Rach09 asks, uh, with the NLI, or I guess NIL, name, image, likeness, set to change some of the recruiting, et cetera, moving forward, do you think that a program like Michigan will be changed by it? I use them as an example because of Barstool president Dave Portnoy being a grad. I did not know he was a Michigan guy. Uh, and Barstool being so popular among college-age kids. I don't see individuals changing uh, recruiting, like local donor giving 100000 for a player that, that, that bust won't last. Uh, but companies with major followings can market these players at major universities might be the future. Uh, okay, second question from uh, Jose567895. Do you suspect when players are granted a one-time free transfer that many players will use it to move to a school where the state legislature has approved uh, for the athlete to profit from the use of name, image, and likeness? Love the show, especially the World War II analogies. Um. Okay. I think that for the second one, I think that it's going to be that there's going to be a uniform rule across the country because no, if one state has the edge, that's not going to be palatable for any state that is put at a disadvantage. There's going to be such a hubbub that like there's just whatever whatever the baseline um, legislation is like that it'll be adopted nationwide i think so i i don't think that that's going to be yeah because if that if that were to happen then absolutely those advantages would would see themselves manifest but like that's the whole idea of this is um competitive balance and like that's why that's why teams are so scared of this in the first place is because they don't want uh you know boosters to provide an uneven playing field so I, I, I do think that, that, that there's going to be consistency on that front. So I, I think that there is a chance that we have like we, we have an uneven playing field for maybe a season, but I think other states would move very quickly to, to level that playing field. Like I'm not convinced that when this rolls out, everybody will have exactly the same rules immediately, but I think if they don't, it will be 
tightened up you know very quickly that's not to say however that some schools may may be better at the name image likeness game and some player might say hey like my, my endorsement strategy fits better with what this school does than what this school does so I may, maybe I will look to transfer there the, the general rule I think is that anything that you use in recruiting high school guys you are also going to use in recruiting transfers with the exception that I think transfers are a little bit less gullible than some of these high school kids are. They, if you're transferring, you've, you've kind of been through the recruiting process one time before. You may have a better idea of what, what type of recruiting promises are, are BS and you know which ones are not. But in general, like I'm going to use it to recruit high school kids. I'm also going to use it to recruit transfers. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, as far as will there be schools that you know may have brands that appeal to recruits better? Absolutely, there will be. You know, I mean... Now, money is going to appeal to everybody, but if the money is capped somehow, like you just suggested, the the brands which are cooler that which connect with with you know, young kids better, absolutely could have an advantage. I I'd be interested to see if Michigan, giving like you know, giving kind of Michigan's persona, would want to would want to partner with Barstool, but maybe they would. Who knows? The 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 Barstool example is interesting, but I think it's you're looking at the Rachel Nine is looking at the the wrong example. The the one that's already playing out as we speak is the Deion Sanders deal at Jackson State. Deion Sanders is still, as I understand it, has a show with Barstool. And the bar, Barstool is like publicly promoting Jackson State um, to, to its followers. And, um, you know, Deion's going to push it. He's gonna he's gonna lean on every advantage he can get, and so I think that's the that's the first that's the first situation where we could see this kind of weird merging of um, college football with I don't know the private sector, like for lack of a better way to phrase it. Um, it's it, it's gonna be really I think it's gonna be like Jackson State. I don't really care what they do on Saturdays, but I'm very interested in what happens under Deion Sanders from a recruiting standpoint uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah. Is, is he going to keep his relationship with Barstool? Like, like is, is him being there at Jackson state? Is that all like a Barstool play? Do, do we know? Like, 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 do you think that's a genuine, he's actually really wants to coach Jackson, Jacksonville state uh, or Jackson state. I, I'm no, I think he wants to be like, he's, I mean, you would know, right. Cause he, he would, he wanted that Florida state job. I don't think he was ever realistically in contention for it, but like he wants to be, yeah, he definitely wants a, to coach. A, a power five coach, right? I mean, a, a FBS coach. And I think a lot a lot of times the question was, do, does he want to pay his dues? And right. people say, like, he's famous. He's in the Hall of Fame. And that, that's true, but that's not coaching. That That's that's different. You know, you, you look at a guy who he played with briefly, I, I believe I'm trying to get the, the years right in my head, like Terrell Buckley, you know, who is actually considered a, a pretty good coach and paid his dues, was, was a GA, was an assistant, you know, and became a position coach in, in the SEC, like, that that's sort of the the long route to take, and and Dion would have a, a leg up because of his fame and because of just how good of a player he was. Uh, but I, I still think that you do have to put in your time at least a little bit before you get a legitimate, you know, big time head coaching job. Yeah. All right, uh, what do we got? Four minutes. Okay, Valhalla twenty four wants to know: Can you guys go over a recruits itinerary for a weekend official visit at a school during a normal season? And have you heard anything unique to certain coaches or schools? Have at it, bud. All right, so let's just go over the kind of basic stuff first. Um, you get on campus generally on Friday. 
most of the time they try to group these official visits with a couple kids so that you know the coaching staff can go out to dinner with their with the players and their families. That's pretty fun. Usually it's a nice restaurant. The school picks up the tab. You go check into your hotel. They have a cookie cake and a bunch of personalized stuff with your name on it, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so that that's going well for you. And then afterwards, the players go out generally with, with some player host. If it's more of an off-season visit, if it's you know one during the season, you're not really going out on Friday night quite as much, unless you're going out with some guys, you know, who are, are redshirting. The scrubs. Um, yeah, basically. You know, so m- maybe somebody slips those guys a little money. Uh, I mean, you get some legally and then some, you know, maybe under the table to make sure they have a really good time wherever they go. Uh, the players get to hang out or the players' parents, rather, get to hang out with the coaches uh, and, and get to learn more about them. Then on Saturday, if you didn't do it on Friday, depending on what time you got into town, you're going to talk to academics. You're going to talk to maybe your future you know, like academic advisor, if you know what you want to major in, if you don't, they usually just ask you to pick something so you can go talk to somebody and, and explain kind of, you know, what a major would be about. The schools are going to want to tout any kind of technology it has, any real nice facilities in history. So whether that's like biometric scanning or, you know, really old buildings or history or, or whatever, they want to show that kind of stuff off. Obviously, any kind of football history, they're going to emphasize quite a bit. If it's a game day visit, okay, you're going to talk, you know, you're going to go and, and watch the game. If it's not, you know, maybe you'll watch the film with the coaches and whatnot. You get to be in the locker room before and after the game. That's pretty neat. You get to see the pregame, postgame speech, celebrations if you win, the how the team handles adversity if you don't win. Um, usually you're going to go out that night, by the way, with, with the players, depending on what time the game is and what time the bars close. And then Sunday, they will usually have a, a, a breakfast for the commits and then, or, you know, visitors, and then also like an exit meeting with the coach, either the head coach or your uh, position coach. That That's pretty much how it works everywhere. And then I know, Barton, you have some interesting individual examples of, of stuff that goes on at schools that are you know kind of notable things. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's everyone's got their thing, like whether they, I don't know, like Vanderbilt, I think, tries to like take them out to dinner on like a big balcony downtown that's overlooking the city to kind of show off the city or, um, you know, it, you know, Arkansas. I, I got to go to Arkansas's catfish hole, the 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 restaurant, because everybody always talks about how they loved like the highlight of the trip was the catfish hole. Um, so I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's a the, one of the highlights of the Arkansas trip. Um, but you know, I mean, yeah, there's there's always like I I, I know like you know there's there's everyone's got and a lot of them have kind of the secret sauce, like something like that they do that's like really a fun experience for the players that they don't want to get out uh, to have other people steal it. But it's all about just trying to get these guys to have fun. And a big part of it is the the hosts. I just remember when I took my official visits, um, you know, like they, like when I took a Duke official visit, I was playing, uh, they, they had me playing beer pong with uh, Shane Battier. And, uh, and, you know, like they were trying to like, they were lying to Shane Battier, telling him that like I was a uh, uh, Florida State was recruiting me and I was a must-have, <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you got to come here, man." Uh, so like that was my my brush with fame during my Duke visit. But there's always like some they you know, whatever. They're just loving you up. It's fun. That's awesome, man. Yeah, catfish hole that you mentioned. I, I know Miami takes their guys out on on jet skis and. You know, tries to play up the city of, of Miami, even though you know the University of Coral Gables, but they want to show the closeness, right, of of being to the beach and, and the nightlife there. Um, it, it's really like whatever you like about your school, most likely that's what your school wants to highlight 
on on its visit to the recruits because they 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 want to they want to be able to stand out. Every place is going to give you the tour and the academics and and the pregame and the postgame and all that kind of stuff. We got to wrap it, man. We got we got a recruiting meeting to get to, guys. Five stars on iTunes if you would. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, especially if you're listening to us on any kind of you know embedded thing in an article, hit that subscribe button. Help us out and get us to 700 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you all again Sunday night. Have a great weekend.